Welcome to the Fleet FYI's podcast, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for smarter fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week I'll be sharing with you not only over two decades worth of data insights, but some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. Before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, Thanks for stopping by. Once you finish today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, I would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars, I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. If we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later episode. Let's dig in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. Before I kick off today's show, I wanted to make sure that you get your hands on our brand new resource that benchmarks electric vehicle survey data from the past three years, starting in the 2020 data year. It dives into purchasing behavior and decisions, reporting and metrics for EVs, and so much more. And based on survey responses from industry-leading fleets across the world, I think this is one that you'll want to get your hands on. I'll leave the link in the show notes of this episode down below. Otherwise, you can always go to utilimark.com, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com forward slash EV survey benchmark 2023 with dashes in between the words to download the results. And now without any further ado, let's dig into today's show. Welcome back to the second installment of the EV data series on Fleet FYIs. I'm super excited to sit down and chat with you all today. And it's not just because we're delving into data again, but also because we are in the full swing of conference season, which means that we get to do a lot. And I mean, a lot of peer-based learning and exchanging of ideas too. That being said, a key conversation has already become a trending topic at these shows, and that is the involvement of data, especially in the decision-making process for integrating electric vehicles into your fleet. More specifically, we're looking at the total cost of ownership per asset. And as you are all probably very well aware, the total cost of ownership analysis of an electric vehicle can be very different from that of their internal combustion engine counterparts. And it might not be for the obvious reason that initially pops into your head like purchase price alone. And whilst there's a lot of conversation surrounding costs in that regard, you know, the actual vehicle itself, as well as the price of electricity that powers the vehicle there are many other costs associated with the move towards fleet electrification in the long run. Now, the cost of establishing the proper infrastructure and purchasing vehicles with inflated price tags is often the first and most crucial barrier to a fleet that wants to enter the EV space. 
makes sense, right? And though there are some solutions, I'll use Beam here as an example. And for those of you that don't know who Beam are, you know, they offer a solar panel movable charging infrastructure solution, promise a plug and play type approach to electrification in itself. Most fleets will rely on developing their own infrastructure to access the grid and keep their fleets on the road, which is where they want to be. This will come with higher overhead costs overall, and fleet managers will need the assurance that the long-term benefits of electrification implementation will ultimately help the bottom line. But what I want to do today is actually start to break down what gets factored into TCO equations for electric vehicles in itself, because that's a big part of the whole equation. You can't just look at purchase price, and you can't just look at price of electricity. It's There's a whole kit and caboodle that goes along with it. So let's break into that now. The first entry point for many fleets, like I said, will want to make use of programs offered by companies who already own or have the capital to invest in building an electric infrastructure. We're talking about charging here. Now, charging as a service, otherwise called CAAS, will be likely the Probably I would say the smartest entry point or smartest move for any smaller fleet that wants to start getting into the electrification initiative in order to cut overhead costs by enrolling in programs with subscription-based pricing, rather than having to purchase everything straight away before you've even gotten your vehicles on the lot. These programs vary from paying to become accepted users on another company's infrastructure to full-fledged service, including the installation and maintenance of charging units at specified locations. So there is some flexibility when it comes to these plans as well. If charging as a service is not an option or specific needs of the fleet require the purchase of internal infrastructure, it could cost a pretty penny. That's sad to say, but it's paramount that fleet managers really do understand the visibility of certain types of charging stations and the related infrastructure so that they can purchase an appropriate amount of access to the electricity that they will need to keep their fleet on the roads and doing the job that they were designed to do. Now, a surprisingly volatile aspect of electric vehicle total cost of ownership is the purchase price of vehicles. We always kind of figured that the electric vehicle purchase price would be higher, right? But there's a lot of volatility here that we're not factoring in. While the differences in internal combustion engine vehicle prices typically happen on smaller scales, the next few years will see major technological advancements in which, in turn, will drive the price tags of certain models pretty high. Fleet managers will need to be smart in deciding on the specific utility offered by vehicles at certain price points so that they can best serve their fleet and also make the best decisions when it comes to figuring out what price point works for their organization. For example, considerations like twice the price but four times the range, is it worth it for me? Or maybe not. That'll be a viable option for vehicles whose primary function drives many miles but might fall short in the total cost of ownership analysis for heavy-duty vehicles. A heavier class vehicle, for example, they exist at extremely high price points. And that's really unlikely to change in the near future, unfortunately, as electric vehicle technology for heavy-duty systems is still pretty new and it's just not there yet. And while it's typically considered pariahs in the electric vehicle discussion, a lot of these heavy-duty vehicle classes actually make primary candidates for electrification if you really needle in on the vehicle's use case, the routes that they drive, and the tasks that they perform. Torque is incredibly high in electric systems, and many fleets utilize heavy-duty vehicles for short, predictable routes with off-shift periods at centralized locations. 
So if you think about it, they might make the high ticket price of a heavy duty EV a potentially good option for your fleet. But again, it all depends on what you're willing to invest in and also what you can invest in if electrification is the route that you choose to pursue. Because like I've said on Fleet FYIs in a variety of episodes, and I'm not going to stop saying it anytime soon, sustainability is not a one size fits all type of shoe, right? Instead, you have to look at it from a multifaceted approach where you're looking at electrification as part of this green movement, sure, but also so is lowering your emissions through greenhouse gas reporting, so is looking at hydrogen-based fuel or compressed natural gas, CNG, we've talked about that a little bit on this show as well, or it could even be something as simple as understanding how you can optimize your operations and optimize your costs to make sure that your organization is not only profitable, but around for the long run so that you're able to make these sustainable changes. So it's a little bit of a multi-piece puzzle, if you will. Now, of course, if companies already plan to purchase necessary infrastructure, shifting back to the EV discussion here, if you already plan to purchase the the necessary infrastructure, another super tempting option is to purchase on-site power generation solutions. Now, the installation of of solar panels, for example, seems to be an effective way to save money as these panels can collect and store power, as well as dispense it out to the vehicles even during peak rate hours, whilst avoiding these massive overhead charges. Now, if one was to take these solutions and feed the generated energy into the grid during peak hours, compensation could potentially exist for this service as well. A lot of electric vehicle solutions like Beam offer standalone solar units, which are capable of collecting energy and storing it in a local battery to be used by the fleet itself. And these units actually don't require grid integration and could be a potential ideal solution for a temporary job site with electric vehicle needs. Now, there are some options for on-site power generation as well as detailed vehicle-to-grid, you might see this represented as VTG, programs that are largely dependent on the local utility and establishing an open line of communication with your utility company as it is paramount as electrification begins to pick up speed. You know, you might have heard, for example, that the new Ford Lightning, if your power goes out in a storm and your Ford is fully charged, that you're able to power your house off of that particular battery. It's the same type of concept. So if you're Generating enough power, for example, and your fleet vehicles are already charged, what do you do with the excess power if you can't or don't want to store it? You can sell it back to your local utility, sell it back to the grid, and you're able to get some compensation or some incentivization there. That's basically what this program is. In short, there's a longer, more complicated description of it, but that's all I'm going to delve into for this episode today. Now, speaking of incentives... They're available for fleets who actually wish to purchase electric vehicles. Now, these incentives are often funded at a national level, but they are delivered by local utilities. So again, establishing a steady line of communication with your local utility. Honestly, be best friends with these guys. These are the ones you want to know. It will be paramount for fleets who wish to take advantage of incentives that range from discounts on the ticketed price of vehicles or infrastructure to local charging programs, which can be capitalized upon at a low cost. Now, one of the primary draws to electric vehicles is the relative simplicity of the components itself. You've probably heard this a few times before, but... It's been long postulated that EVs would have a significant ability to avoid downtime due to maintenance as well as 
you know, just overall being less of a cost sink when it comes to maintenance and preventative maintenance for the vehicles themselves, because the number of components which could break in the vehicle is much smaller than that of an internal combustion engine. And the events overall, in theory, they would be rare. Now, Whilst there's some preliminary data that suggests that this is the case, up to a 40% reduction in scheduled maintenance costs, this comparison is not a simple one. Not only are electric vehicles pretty new to fleets, but it's also not clear if the frequency and purpose of use has a direct internal combustion engine analog for fleet to have purchased and used these vehicles overall in the long term and have been able to do a direct comparison line. It's important to note, I think, at least, that significant concerns have been ris- have been rising up regarding mechanics themselves as well. And this is one thing that I really want to stress here, because when you look at mechanics for a traditional fleet, all they really needed to know was how the vehicle worked. Well, in this case, you know, whilst reducing maintenance downtime, it has been equated to freeing up budgets and otherwise used to fund mechanics it's become really clear that the skill set for folks that are working on EVs, they'll need to be slightly different than a traditional mechanic that we're used to. Right now, it might not exist as frequently, but the thing is, is that these mechanics that are now working on electric vehicles don't just need to know how the vehicles themselves work. They also need to be electricians because you're dealing with electricity, a pretty strong current, and a pretty strong battery. And whether fleets will need will need to decide to divert resources to funding a smaller, more skilled team or outsource to other skilled laborers. The price and availability of such labor may pose new challenges for fleets. That's one thing that is absolutely certain, especially when you factor in the upgraded personal protective equipment that will need to be available to these technicians as well. And overall, the upgraded training and ongoing training that some of these mechanic teams will need And by some, I mean all will need as these vehicles continue to mature and the technology continues to evolve. love to know what you think though. What's the most surprising or perhaps the least surprising aspect of total cost of ownership factors for electric vehicles? Do you have any questions or thoughts on the topic? If you've got some, I would love for you to send them my way. You can tag me on LinkedIn, use the hashtag UtilimarkFleetFYIs, send me an email or a carrier pigeon because who doesn't love that? But before I sign off for the week, if you're enjoying this show, I would really appreciate if you would rate and review our show on your favorite podcasting platform. Not only does it really help me out, but it also helps folks like you find our show and enjoy it hopefully as much as you are. But anyways, that is all for me this week. I will chat to you again soon. Ciao. Hey there, it's me again. I think it's time to cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. 
If you're already wanting more on all things fleet and vehicle technology, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for this episode's show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analyst to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later.